0: From the intersection of Sunset Boulevard and Bass Street, Minnesota, New downloaded Main, event, status, radio with your host, Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210, and the Dirty Dog Dirty.
1: Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Get official WCW stuff.
0: This stuff up here is cool.
1: It's hot. It's happening. It's official WCW stuff. Caps, tees, and more. Official
0: WCW stuff. Let's go so You can order official World Championship Wrestling stuff from the WCW Merchandise Catalog. Get yours today. Call 404-885-7168 to get your free official
1: WCW Merchandise Catalog.
0: i know what you're thinking i'm not a real athlete i'm just a wrestler
1: i'm six foot ten 328 pounds i
0: won boxing's golden gloves three years ago i was a national champion at the university of Miami. my jersey was retired at florida state i was the ultimate fighting champion Step through those ropes. Bad things do happen. And over 200 stitches. I've suffered a dozen concussions. Broken bones. I've separated shoulders. Broke my neck. I've blown out knees. But I still got up. This is who I am. This is what I do. I'm not really an athlete. This isn't real. Try lace of my boots. You know, ever since college, me and my brother,
1: Devon have had a real problem showing mercy. Back then, we showed no
0: mercy in the classroom. And now, the W-Boys show no mercy in the ring. So when THQ asked us to be the no mercy spokesman,
1: we naturally agreed. <laughs> Wage war in all new backstage areas, perform vicious double-team moves, and show no mercy in the high-flying ladder match. WWF no mercy for Nintendo 64. It doesn't get any
0: better than this. Rated T. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to Main Event Status Radio. I am the Dirty Dog, Darcy, doing something a little bit different today. Joining the podcast once again is Dean Stahl. How's it going, Dean? Hello. I'm good. How are you? Can't complain. So we might as well start out the podcast once again. on If the if the fans uh, who are listening to the podcast haven't listened to the first podcast you're on, you, do you want to let us know about your... Uh, experience in professional wrestling and how you got into professional wrestling
1: Okay uh, I've been watching since uh, probably about 85 my my first real incident with it was seeing Rocky 3 where Hulk Hogan played Thunderlips and from there you know uh, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling came out on the on Saturday morning cartoons and that was followed by Wrestling Superstars with Wrestling, wrestling Challenge on uh, Sundays, and because I live in the Michigan area, WWF was all we got until we got cable, and then you could see uh, NWA, WCW stuff. But even by then, it was on the decline because that was the Jim Herd years. But I followed it ever since, and currently I'm kind of a lapsed fan just because of my dislike of current product. But I am a uh, old time fan.
0: You mentioned yeah, uh, yeah, you were a fan in. You know, of the WWF in '85-ish. What was it about Hulk Hogan and the WWF that got you into professional wrestling?
1: Well, I, I love the characters. Uh, they were they were larger than life. They were kind of like living superheroes, especially Hulk Hogan. I mean, you're looking at like Superman mixed with your dad, and that was just kind of cool. It was awesome to see him, and even though he wasn't on every you know major event they put on, it, well, he was on the major events, but like the weekend stuff, he wasn't on there, maybe in a vignette or something, or a Saturday Night's Main Event. It was exciting because he was just big and boisterous and colorful and somebody you wanted to watch.
0: And, you know you mentioned the Saturday Night's Main Event and Hogan and Rocky three. How big was it for... You as a wrestling fan to finally see WWF on Saturday nights with Saturday Night's Main Event.
1: Well, that was that was pretty exciting because here it was late at night. They were bringing all the big stars out, so it, it didn't have to be the the up and coming pay per view <coughs> events, which were kind of hard to get a hold of. Um, it was just another extension because you know we'd watch stuff Saturday morning, and yet we're going to get another dose on Saturday night. And my parents were kind of into it, so they would let us stay up late and let us watch it. So it was really cool.
0: How big were the big four pay-per-views when they they started to come around, starting in 85 with the WrestleMania, then moving into SummerSlam, Survivor Series, and the Rumble?
1: Well, when it started, I didn't see anything until it came out on videotape, just because we didn't have cable and we didn't have any sort of pay-per-view access. My best friend did, and after a while, we started watching stuff at his place. And with Survivor Series, it was, you know, directly on Thanksgiving night, so whenever we were at my aunt's house, he had cable and pay-per-view access. I demanded that we stay there until the, the show was done, much to my mother's dismay. But... Uh, as, as things progressed into the nineties and whatnot, you know, I saw more and more stuff just because they started putting out more and I had easier access to it.
0: You mentioned that Hulk, Hulk Hogan was a cartoon character. It was like what you said, Superman mixed in with your dad. Were there other wrestlers like the ultimate warrior or Randy Savage that stood out to you as comic book characters?
1: oh yeah the the ultimate warrior definitely when that guy came along yeah it was it was totally over the top and crazy and you, you just could not be could not help but be swept up by his crazy personality and his his you know, loud promos and it, it's only in hindsight that you look at his matches and go oh my god these were awful what were we thinking
0: then, uh, well, then I know then not only we talked about it a little bit before off air on Facebook and all that but What was it about Ultimate Warrior that got you, pulled you away from Hulkmania?
1: Well, I think um, I probably had just followed Hogan long enough, and it was interesting to see somebody else in the spotlight for a little while, and Ultimate Warrior was a great substitute because he was even more colorful, and he was just wild and very crazy, and he was ripped to the gills, and he had long hair, he was, just, he was just somebody that I thought was just exciting to watch and kind of everything I wanted to be. It was like going from, from loving your dad to having a, a teenage role model that was just all big and badass, and he was everything he wanted to be past that.
0: Because what was it about Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior and uh, you know others from the WWF that, I guess, pulled you away from the real world for an hour or two on the weekends, if that makes any sense?
1: Yeah, Um, it, it, it leads back to just some of my own personal troubles at that time. I was bullied a lot as a kid, and this was just power fantasies that made me feel a little more empowered, made me feel a little better about myself, and in my head, I could face down the bullies and win the day and feel good, whereas you know, once the weekend was over and there was no wrestling to watch, I'd go back to the real world and have to suffer at their hands.
0: And what was there certain matches or feuds between the 85 and the early 90s that that you still remember that you enjoyed when it happened or that you were able to watch on VHS?
1: Yeah, oh yeah. There was the, uh, there was Hogan Andre. That was amazing. Um, Randy Savage going against uh, George the Animal Steel and their kind of Beauty and the Beast angle. That was great. Seeing uh, Hulk Hogan take on the Ultimate Warrior for Warrior winning both titles was amazing. Uh, Randy Savage and uh, Ricky Steamboat's WrestleMania three match was just incredible. It made me love technical wrestling.
0: I know a few things that you mentioned, you know, during those matches that, I know I'm with you about being a lapsed fan. I guess comparing wrestling back in the late '80s, early '90s to now, do you feel like the, mid, the mid-card the mid titles nowadays, like the Intercontinental title, US title, do you feel like they're not putting the emphasis on those titles like they should, like they did back then?
1: I, I did feel that way for a long time, but I think right now it's really the emphasis where those titles are gaining a little more prominence, just because Brock Lesnar's not on every week. Uh, WWE has a, a terrible record of overexposure with these guys, because they're going every Monday night, sometimes they're on Friday night, and they're building to a pay-per-view. But now with Brock being sort of a distant champion, he becomes a bigger draw. The other titles get more importance. Whereas, up until now, that that wasn't the case, and we were trained to kind of really only observe the world title.
0: Yeah, I guess I like what you're you were mentioning. Do you feel like three hours every Monday night, then Two hours on Friday nights plus everything that every every live show that we have on the network, do you think like that's I guess overexposing the business or oversat being the business being oversaturated right now?
1: Yes, absolutely. I don't think Raw needs to be three hours at all. I don't think SmackDown even needs to be two hours. You could go two hours with Raw and one hour with SmackDown and put out a much more streamlined product with a lot less filler and really focus more on the roster you have at hand, because it's dwindling. It's it's really kind of falling to lower numbers than it has been. What,
0: what about what is it about the business that is it connected with culture nowadays, in your opinion? <laughs>
1: I, I just don't think it feels as relevant anymore. Um, I don't know. See, when I started, when I started watching it, there was a, a big connection between MTV and and WWF because Cyndi Lauper got involved, and you know she and Lou Albano were friends, and there was all this big crossover with like her videos, and then the the war to settle the score, it, and it just all swelled up in like this big, this big thing of pop culture at that point. I don't think that's relevant anymore because it's been around so long, but I also think it's just not being presented in possibly the right way. Not that I could say what the right way should be.
0: I know you mentioned Cindy Lautner being, you know, connected with wrestling in the mid eighties. Is there anybody in pop culture nowadays that you feel like could cross over and kind of help bring professional wrestling back into, you know, into society today to make it relevant?
1: I think that's a tough call because you you see how they've kind of tried by having all these guest hosts come in on raw, but it just hasn't worked out the same way only because I don't know. It just falls apart somewhere. And I think they've kind of honestly tried to cultivate their own pop culture Hollywood connection with the rock and, and some of their movie exploits, but it's just sort of blown up in their face.
0: You know, you mentioned the rock. I guess, well, you know, with you know the rock and the Batista getting into movies and you know and all that he got cast into the, one of the newer 007 movies. Do you feel like the WWE WWE movies is meaningless?
1: It it a little bit, yeah. But I think it, it, it doesn't have to be. It, it just needs to have the, the right product to it. I think they tried a little bit by doing movies that didn't involve any wrestlers at all. And some of the stories they put out, some of the movies they did, I guess just didn't work as well. I'm not sure what they really need to do, but maybe just being a production company for a little while and just backing some films would probably be a little better start than... Shoving wrestlers at everybody
0: in a movie setting. I guess we might as well kind of get back into like the, you know, get back to pro wrestling from the late '80s, early '90s. One of the feuds I still remember to this day was Chick the Snake Roberts versus Macho Man Randy Savage, and Macho Man being wrapped up in the in the ropes and the cobra biting Jay, uh, biting on Macho's arm. What's your thoughts? Oh yeah. I mean, what's your thoughts on that feud? And what's your thoughts on Chick the Snake Roberts?
1: Jake is one of the best. I mean I, I love that guy and my mom really loved that guy just because he didn't yell. She said he was more intimidating because of how he delivered his promos with that, that you know, that quiet and calculated speech and and he just presented just such a guy you could you could truly believe. And it was so shocking when he had Randy Savage tied up in the ropes and the snake bit him and you know they threw the big red X over over the imagery because they just didn't they said this is too graphic you can't see it it's like well now i want to see it more i I just thought it was that was an amazingly well done feud
0: do you feel like notchman was the best opponent for jake the snake during that time period
1: yes because i think wwf with throughout the history from when i started at least brawling was sort of the, the principal focus, all of the top guys were brawlers. And that's still a little bit of the way today, but Randy was different. He wasn't a brawler. I mean, he could do brawling, but it wasn't his forte. And Jake was a little bit the same way. Both of these guys knew how to pace a match. They knew how to, to execute really good psychology. And while I didn't understand what that was at that time, I knew that these guys were going to have a match that was way different than what you'd seen before, and it was really exciting.
0: Now you mentioned the uh, Steamboat versus Matchman match from WrestleMania three, what was it about their feud that hooked you? In the oh, I guess yeah, hooked you more as a wrestling fan.
1: It it was just seeing a different style than than had been presented before. A lot like Randy and Jake, where you're watching a much more technical-based match. These guys have, have really thought out what they're going to do with this match, and they executed everything so well. And just watching both of these guys was, was just art. It was just beautiful.
0: Then, what got you out of professional wrestling in the early 90s?
1: Uh, well, I worked a lot. I was you know, doing part-time jobs, going to college. I just wasn't home as much. I didn't know. I kind of lost track of when WWF was on. And then when I did see it, some of the characters were weird because it was like the Mantar era. And I, I kind of like Duke the Dumpster Drozzy, but it, it still just wasn't It wasn't what I had looked at before.
0: Okay, that know we talked about it a little bit before, but uh, what was, what, what, I know you mentioned that after 92-ish is when you fell off. And I know you mentioned before, like Mankind, when he debuted in '96, you felt like his character was a little, I guess, odd. If I remember correctly, what's your thoughts? Oh, yeah. What's your thoughts on that time period in the, I guess, goofy characters in the mid '90s?
1: I when I saw McFoley being Mankind, I I didn't get it at first. I watched a match of his, and I'm like, what What the heck are they trying to present? This guy's pulling his hair out squealing and he's, he's stabbing himself and it was just unusual and just so weird. And I, I, didn't know what to make of it cause I hadn't been following along all that, that strictly. And it was only in subsequent years when I started to kind of get the gimmick that McFoley was doing and come to like McFoley himself that I kind of got it. And that's when the other things started changing, and Stone Cold came up, and Triple H came in, and Heartbreak Kid was a, a bigger draw. It, it was tough to get a, get into at first, but it eventually won me over.
0: Okay, yeah, then what, then what brought you back into pro, pro wrestling during the attitude era?
1: Um, actually, it was, the, it was Monday Nitro. Uh, I was living with my girlfriend at the time, and I saw Monday Nitro, and I recognized some of the WWF guys that they had brought in. Uh, I saw some of the guys from WCW that I kind of liked. You know, I like Sting, I like Luger. I kind of liked Flair, depending on which side he was on. And I just kind of got excited and, and picked back up on it because it was something to do on Monday night. And it just sort of bankrolled from there.
0: And I, know you, I know you mentioned you know, Mankind. I thought like the character he was playing pre-98 was completely different from after 98. Um, I guess, what? what's your thoughts on the evolution of the character of Mankind for what you saw before you got back into wrestling and during the Attitude Era? Um, hmm.
1: Well, I, I think... Um, I, I can see where you're coming from on how he changed. I think the King of the Ring really slowed him down. You know, he I, there was still a few things to come where he was really putting himself at risk, but I think, you know, falling off a 16-foot cage is kind of like your pinnacle point there. Um, it, it was interesting just because Mick showed so much more personality. Um, I think around that time he had, he had won his uh, title belt. And... I was one of the the people who flopped over as soon as uh, as soon as Tony Schiavone announced that Mick Foley was winning the belt. I'm like, holy cap! I want to see that. <laughs> and you know, Mick just showed that that uh, that overgrown kid personality that was just so much fun to to enjoy about him.
0: I know. Yeah, I know. You mentioned you know, flipping back and forth between channels. Did you flip back and forth between the channels a lot during the Attitude Era? <laughs>
1: A little bit, yeah. I was watching with a friend of mine, and he, I think he was a bigger Raw fan than he was Nitro, but he still liked a lot of the guys who were on Nitro. Uh, we would watch some of Raw up until he thought it was just too shocking, and then just said, this, this is just gratuitous, and then we'd go back to Nitro. But the, I w- at that time, I was taping one and watching the other, so I was still seeing both
0: product. Okay, I guess, what's your thoughts on the character's... From WCW and WWF in the mid '90s, compared to what got you into professional wrestling in the mid '80s in WWF?
1: Well, um, it's a little different, I think, because what what the guys in the '80s they already were their characters and were just being brought in from other territories and just you know given a direction to go on from there. And then as the the new guys came in. WWF started taking a little more executive control and saying this is the character you're going to be um, and then even even like more current day, you know, it shifted again where they're like dropping kind of characters all together and then just saying, be yourself but be like an MMA guy or something.
0: Why don't we talk to you a little, little bit before on you know Facebook and all that? What's your thoughts on Hulk Hogan from the late '80s to Hollywood Hogan in the late '90s.
1: Um, I think he got a little uh, too full of himself. You know, as with all of the reduced work dates, and you know, thinking that he was still the the top draw. Sure, crowds were excited for him, but I think you know his heyday was a little past. He had thinned down a bit, and you could definitely tell he was cutting back on the on the steroid thing he just started looking older and getting older and up until hollywood hogan he just wasn't that fresh anymore
0: do you feel like the whole hollywood hogan churn and the N.W.O. help refresh in his career and help add on a few years to his career
1: yeah, it gave him a new direction to follow. It gave him an excuse for the way he w- he carried himself through through the company, backstage as well as on screen. Because you know a, a heel is going to act up where he doesn't he doesn't want to be in every fight. He just wants to be in the major fights. You know he's he wants to handpick his opponents. He wants to, to game the system as much as he could. And that was kind of what felt like Hogan was doing backstage as well. So it kind of fit. It's just, I think the over, the NWO got quickly overblown and just became kind of a, a bloated carcass.
0: Now, were you watching professional wrestling when Hogan turned heel in '96? Uh,
1: no, I missed it, but uh, I came in just soon after that, so WCW was rerunning that footage quite often.
0: Do you remember hearing from friends or whoever that Hogan turned heel? Do you remember hearing about it and or? Once you finally heard about it, what was your initial thoughts, if you can remember? Um, I think I remember hearing about it from some of my hometown
1: friends because I was living uh, a fair distance away. But when I would reconnect with them, they told me about it, and I was I was pretty shocked because it seemed like this was the thing that would never happen. You know, you you, you care. I carry this idea of who Hulk Hogan was for all this time, and to hear that he's now a bad guy and doing all these evil things. It's like, what? How does this happen? This is like this is like Jesus coming back and saying, you all suck.
0: Yeah. Then uh, I guess you kind of mentioned you know, Hogan not really being around but you know, being the champion only want to be in the main fights. Could WWE kind of look at Hogan's WCW title run and model how Brock should be brought in as champ?
1: Yes, and I think they're kind of letting it happen to be that way. They're not enforcing anything further or finding some other way to go because they feel like they have to have the, the title on TV every week. They're letting it rest and they're letting it be in his possession even though he's not doing every day.
0: <coughs>
1: Excuse me. I think that's a good idea, and I'm, I'm glad to see that they're taking that, that initiative.
0: And I know we might as well kind of get into it. I know we talked about it off here, but... I guess the biggest news in professional wrestling the last few weeks is the CM Punk interviews with Cole Cabana on Art of Wrestling Podcast. What's your initial thoughts on what Punk said in the two interviews, and how does it hurt WWE nowadays?
1: Well, um, it, it's, it's good to know what some of the, uh, the, the hidden news actually was about what he was going through to help explain why he left and you know, what he was going through. It feels kind of shameful to hear about how the company is being run. About how they're just kind of sort of burning through these guys, especially Punk, where they're you know the medical staff is not taking his his problem seriously and just trying to push it off. Um, it it really is kind of unfortunate to hear that Vince McMahon will just kind of not browbeat, but sort of, you know, persuade you to go along with things and keep doing stuff, and he'll owe you one, and it's like, oh, my God, don't ever let Vince McMahon owe you one, apparently, because you're just going to burn yourself out and, and probably die from it.
0: Yeah, because I, yeah, I listened uh, both interviews with CM Punk last night at work, and at first, first few months I was bothered that CM Punk walked out and didn't, say anything but now f- after he was finally able to talk about it i see where he's coming from and i'm not bitter about him walking out i appreciate the all the years that he put into the business for our entertainment and i appreciate him fighting through yeah. even though his he could have passed away because of the staph infection but in ways i felt like at least with the first interview he in ways he seemed a tad bit bitter but uh, did you feel like he was better in the first interview with Colt Cabana?
1: I don't, maybe a little, but I think he was justified in being so, because he's still he's still in the public eye in social media, and he's got a lot of people coming after him saying how you know he walked away and it's not fair, and you owe me this and you owe me that. I think he's I think he was able to temper it enough where he could explain the situation and tell people this is what I was going through, this is why I left, but still you 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 know, he even said that, that he kept working towards that goal of being a, a WrestleMania main event and he couldn't get there. That's very disappointing. And to have this terrible situation go through to go through and you still don't fulfill your dream. That's really, that's justifiable. You're going to be bitter from that.
0: I know in the second interview, Punk mentioned that on the Stone Cold Podcast on the network from this past Monday night that Vince apologized. And I agree with Punk on WWE has his address, has his phone number. Vince wanted to apologize. Vince could have done it way before Monday night on the network. Yeah, he even said he
1: had talked to Triple H and told him specifically that he was getting married in two days. It's not like nobody knew what was going on in his life at that time. They just didn't care.
0: Yeah, do you, I guess you were pretty sure to answer this question, but do you feel Punk is justified in not accepting McMahon's apology on the network on Stone Cold's podcast?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's sent by extension. If you can't do it face-to-face, it's not real.
0: Yeah cuz you know when when he mentioned that on the second interview with Colt Cabana I feel like whatever WWE says you know with Vince or Triple H or whoever else I feel like CM Punk is in the right.
1: Yeah. yeah, if if Punk could have said we've already spoken about this and we've had it out and now I can say we're ready to move on, then I would believe what Vince McMahon had said. But no, he was just trying to do it from extension and that doesn't work.
0: Yeah that why, yeah, why that yeah, he I I thought like Vince should have yeah, reached out to Punk privately before saying it publicly. If that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah,
1: I just I just it just shows that he really kind of doesn't want to. He's just ready to move on. Which is what I had thought about when Punk first left. It's like, okay, if you're going to leave, someone else is going to be brought up behind you. It's just going to happen because that's the way business rolls. But now that I know why, I, I understand how he was getting the very short end of the shrift here. You
0: know, you mentioned before that, that you don't watch the current stuff. What is it about the current stuff that... I guess, pushed you away from the product.
1: Every payoff was just extremely dissatisfying. I watched the pay-per-view where Sting finally returned and made that great comeback and did the save, and then that Monday Night Raw that followed just totally shit the bed. It was it was unentertaining. It was just uninspired. It just felt so flat.
0: Then is there anything besides yeah, the whole whole Sting coming back and them not really mentioning on Raw, Sting not showing up on Raw, is there any, anything else like the lack of push for Ziggler or
1: the lack of mid
0: adventures nowadays, is there any, anything else about the current product that pushes you away?
1: Well, with WWF I think it's the, uh, or the WWE It's I think it's the, the comedic take they're they're giving to the network now it's something that they had such big high hopes in, and they kind of see that it's going to be a failure. It's just a matter of time. So now they're just turning it into a big joke. And I think that's pretty dumb, because the, the network still has value if they were just going to put better focus towards it. They could be doing so much more with it, like they did with the Stone Cold podcast. But they just want to turn it into a, a chanted catchphrase so that the audience can participate. Get there it's just a an insult
0: now you mentioned the stone cold podcast and the network do you feel like once every few months have stone cold or jim ross or chris jericho or somebody like that bring their podcast to the network and have like a live special once every two three four months
1: I think so, only if they really do let it be the podcast as it currently is. I really appreciated the fact that how candid Vince McMahon did make things. And I think the more that they get involved, the more they're going to try to make the narrative preconceived to what they want to present. And once it turns into that, then there's no point in doing it.
0: I know you mentioned the network and them ways making it out as a joke. The network's been around for... About ten months or so now. Where would you grade the network on on its success or the or the lack thereof in the last ten months?
1: Uh, I probably give it maybe like a B or a C. I love the older content. I love the access to it. I think there could be a little a little more put into it, considering the library they have at their disposal. But as far as uh, new product. I think it's kind of fallen short. I think anything the best thing about anything new on it is going to be NXT, just because it's timely and it's well-presented. But um, they're already waffling on what they want to do with pay-per-views, whether they're going to keep them on the network or push WrestleMania to a pay-per-view event and let the rest be on the network. And I would like to see more about maybe like their DVD stuff put on there as well because there's just more content that they could do to make it a little more accessible to people rather than quibbling about what they're going to lose in these other other venues. It's, you know, it's like cut the apron strings. Just give up and do it already.
0: Do you feel like putting the live pay-per-views on the network right away, do you feel like that hurts the pay-per-view business?
1: Well, yeah, but I, I think it's the kind of media that people want and it's giving it to them in an affordable manner, so why wouldn't you do it?
0: Fair. Yeah, fair enough, because I know with the network coming out, this, this year, 2014, is probably the only year I can say I've watched every pay-per-view either live or within a week or so after it gets broadcasted. Because it's you know every pay per view is ten bucks a month, right? Like like you said, you know they make it affordable to watch the network every you know you know watch the network, watch the pay per views every month live when it happens, compared to it being fifty five bucks a month, and you know you know how it's like everything inflation's going up but people's pay you know wages aren't.
1: Yeah, you don't have to fight with cable systems that may not want to carry that pay-per-view or have access to it, or you know may have outages or something. If it's if it's accessible through every every internet device, then you're set to go no matter what. You know, as long as you got something you can look at it on, you're good to go.
0: Yeah, you know, I just thought of you know that um, Hogan for warrior was big for you back in you know the late '80s and uh, early '90s. Uh, did you watch WCW when they brought the Warrior back for Hogan can get his win back?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I I was there for it at that time, and it didn't. It definitely didn't feel the same. Just something felt lost in it all, and you know, I still liked it because I hadn't seen Warrior in a while, but it just definitely did not feel the same.
0: Because I felt like during that time the WCW brought in a lot of guys that Hogan used to feud with and try to rehatch it, you know, with the Warrior versus Piper versus Earthquake versus Ming and all that. Do you feel like WCW is trying to be an extension of the WWF with in respect to the guys who Hogan's feuding with?
1: Um... I'm not sure how about how I felt about it at the time. It, it just seemed like these were guys who could no longer get work at WWF, so they just found somewhere else to go. And from listening to the um, the Hell of a Deal podcast with Kevin Sullivan, I, I hear now that it was really more of the maneuver of just keeping Hogan comfortable in WCW and making him feel a little more at ease by giving him a, a roster of people that he knew he could work with.
0: I well, know you mentioned you know Kevin Sullivan's Hove of Deal podcast over at MLWradio.com dot com, and we talked about you know Stone Cold's podcast over at podcast one dot com. What's your thoughts on? I guess technology nowadays on on you know I guess you know with this podcast, Main Event Status Radio, and old school wrestling podcast with and Blackhead and professional wrestlers having their own podcast. What's your thoughts on nowadays that we can talk about old old wrestling and Still rekindle the love that we once had for the product?
1: Well, that, that's really my favorite thing going right now is listening to a podcast where I can, you know, share my love, uh, you know, my, my nostalgic feeling for a lot of these characters and matches and stuff. Uh, I also appreciate it a lot more when the podcast feels more real, where, you know, I like Stone Cold's podcast, he's a decent interviewer. I kind of like Jim Ross's podcast. He's not as good but still good enough. But both of those guys are shilling. They're looking to to make money as well as, you know, cover whatever expenses they have to put out to make their podcast. So all the ads and stuff, that's kind of annoying. When it's something like Colt Cabana where, you know, his advertising is really just for him about his appearances and his merchandise, that means a little more. And it also means a little more when they're, you know, when they, they really do show their passion for the product and their they're fandom, in a way.
0: Then what's your thoughts on guys like, you know, over at MLW Radio or WrestlingObserver.com on paying for extra podcasts? What's your thoughts on, I guess, I guess MLW and Wrestling Observer are kind of two different animals, but what's your thoughts on, you know, guys like MLW Radio, Paying for extra podcast and (laughs) wrestling observer guys paying for journalism. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm I'm an MLW VIP member, and I did it because I wanted more of what the what Jim Cornette was putting out, his drive-through stuff. And some of the MLW extra stuff is is really good, because while like their main feed is more of their their standard interview style stuff. The things they put on VIP are just a little more organic, a little more natural, and just really interesting.
0: Do you subscribe to the Wrestling Observer podcast at all?
1: No, I don't. Okay.
0: I I, I do, and I guess I do just for I can keep up with current pro wrestling because a few of my coworkers and friends are still into the product and and all that. But I feel like. You know, MLW and Wrestling Observer, are, like I mentioned earlier, two different kind of animals. You know that's yeah. so because you know, like you said, that you know, MLW you know interviews and you know friends getting together and talking to each other and look, there's a recorder, so let's record our conversations. And I feel like <laughs> over at WrestlingObserver.com, you know, there's more journalism on bringing you what's bring you the current news and you know, kind of break down what the major shows are.
1: That's cool. I mean, if you enjoy it, go for it. It, it, To me, that just sounds a little too dry for my tastes.
0: Fair enough. I can, I can see, I can see that. Uh, I guess, you know, Jim Cornette, you mentioned, I, I, I love Jim Cornette and I love the, you know, he, he brings on
1: exciting personality. Yeah.
0: Yeah. To me, it, it makes me laugh. Whenever he does, it goes on a rant on politics. So I feel like, you know, with, you know, hearing him rant about politics or you know, having Kenny Bolin on and rant, you know, those two bickering, I feel like we're sitting with Jim Cornette and Alice Radley for, you know, once a week, you know, for an hour and a half or whatever, just as friends hitting out. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely.
0: I guess what, what other podcast do you listen to that you would suggest to wrestling fans?
1: Uh, the old school wrestling podcast is a great one. I love Dre and the Black Cat. They're good friends of mine. Uh, anything off of the Place to Be Nation is has got some good stuff. They do a lot of great reviews. Uh, they do wrestler spotlights. The the um, uh, where the where the big boys play is really good because they go over specifically WCW stuff. And, uh, the Titans of wrestling is a, is a good one because they take, they take territories and they look at specific years within those territories and talked about the people who worked well and the people who didn't work well and the feuds that were hot. And I, th- I think it's a good
0: overview. Okay. Then I guess one thing I want to talk to you about is comics that you're a comic book artist Yes. I guess, uh, is there anything. Did your uh, love of comics spot off of pro wrestling from the whole comedian era by chance?
1: Uh, no, I was into comics before I got into wrestling, but it felt like they did kind of go hand in hand just because of the way the characters were being presented. And, you know, looking at a, a wrestling match was kind of like looking at a superhero fight. So it just seemed like it had a natural fit with each other.
0: Uh, I guess the it's for me, I feel like pro wrestling from late '80s and early '90s more was more connected with comics than I guess the current stuff. You know, with you know the bright colors and you know the over-the-top cartoon characters.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess I know there w- have been some tie-ins with pro wrestling and comic books. You know, WCW tried to. Do a comic book, you know, comic books and all that, which failed. And, and I think late, I think right on ninety six, WWF tried to with the Undertaker, Mankind. Do you have, do you have any knowledge on the poor wrestling comics that happened from like in the late, pretty much in the nineties?
1: Yeah, yeah, I I did uh, pick up a lot of what was put out through those years. Uh, Marvel did a WCW title that was really just kind of very low, just very subpar. Uh, It was just kind of hokey art and very stilted storylines. It it really kind of seemed like the people who were involved with it were just doing a job. They didn't know anything about the wrestling business. But I also think Marvel just, you know, they didn't want to present what was... They didn't want to present wrestling as it really was. They just wanted something that would be on the market that was tied in with WCW so that both of them could kind of cash in. Uh, things worked a lot better when, when uh, Chaos started doing the Undertaker title because they really played up to what his character was more outside of the ring than inside because he had that whole supernatural aspect to him. And that, that worked really well. And it let them open up to bring in China and The Rock and Mankind and Stone Cold. 'Cause they all had like one shot issues that were pretty
0: good. No, I just you know, the, I just had two uh, quick quick thoughts. One, how CM Puck is now teamed up with Marvel to write comics. let would like to get your thoughts on that and the and Ultimate no. the Ultimate Warrior comic book.
1: Oh god, the Ultimate Warrior comic book was, was so bad just because he was definitely not a writer. But he was writing the book himself and working with an artist, and the guy beat up Santa Claus and took his suit for God's sakes. I mean, <laughs> haha, funny joke, I guess. But still, this is how you want to present yourself as a hero. That it was, it was just bad. Um, as for CM Punk being part of Marvel, I hope that works out. I mean, he says he's a comics fan. Let's let's see how far he can go with it. It is a little bit of using his stardom to kind of go right to the top at the immediate, but if it works out, great. Maybe he can keep writing more. I think if he he really wanted to, he could have probably just started up from an indie level, but he's got the name and the stardom to to work for Marvel if they want to offer it to him, so more power to
0: him. I know you mentioned Warrior not being a good writer for comic books. I know you put out your own comic book and you know, all know that. I was wondering, how hard is it to write for comic books? Uh,
1: personally, I find it very difficult just because I have not trained myself to be a writer. I have focused way more on being an artist. But I, have, I do think that I have found the story that I want to tell, and that's what I'm putting out. I'm trying to uh, convey the love letter that I have for wrestling as well as to the relationship with my younger
0: brother, where wrestling was the only thing we bonded over. Okay, we also <laughs> talk about your comic books. What? No, t- tell us about them.
1: I'm sorry, what was that? Well, oh,
0: I guess plug your comic books. All oh, that.
1: okay. Well, it's called Headlocks and Headaches, and you can find it online at headlocksandheadaches.com. Uh, what I currently do is a uh, 24-page book that goes on the website first, and then when all 24 pages are released, it goes in print. <laughs> And it will be a three-issue miniseries, and when that miniseries is completely wrapped up, I'm going to do a crowdsource, and I'm going to try to put out a trade paperback of the Collected Series. And it focuses on 80s-era style pro wrestling with those larger-than-life characters and those wacky kind of storylines, and has characters that kind of relate to me and my brother as fans of the product at that time.
0: And are you thinking of, of doing anything more after the, this series is done?
1: Uh, I'm going to let that rest and see if a story idea comes to mind. Otherwise, I think I'm going to let it rest and move on to a different uh, subject.
0: And I know uh, we talked about it a little before, kind of bring it back to pro wrestling. That, uh, what's your, I know you mentioned before about Haven's philosophy on baby faces and the WWF versus WCW. Do you really remember what he said between the two? Yes. He said that
1: uh, the way that WWF presented their faces versus WCW is that in WWF, the heroes are always on top, and they're already at the top. And you're just watching them vanquish foes that are trying to take them off of the top. Whereas with WCW, you're watching a face who is starting from the ground up, and he is on the journey to getting to the top. And, you know, you're asked to come along on his journey as he goes through the trials and tribulations of getting to the top.
0: I I, get, I know we kind of talked about this off-air, but do you feel like WWF and WCW's um, baby, philosophy and baby faces uh, bring in two different kinds of fans to the product?
1: Yes, it definitely does, because I, I think both... Both versions of a face have appeal, but I don't think it should be all one or all the other. I think it kind of has to be a mix depending on who you're presenting and how you want to present them. Uh, When you have everybody already on top and they're just beating guys left and right because, you know, somebody, it's villain of the week, it does get a little boring. And just like if WCW, if the guy is constantly climbing his way up and never gets anywhere,
0: why are you backing that guy? Makes sense. And do you use human philosophy in your comic book writing?
1: I use a little bit of both of their philosophies. I have some guys who are already on top, and they're probably all, you know, if I present them that way, they're going to be veterans who have been around a little while, so there's a reason that they're on top. But I also... I focus more on the uh, young guy coming up just because that gives the audience something of an entry level character to try to get behind and follow along with
0: I guess one question that I ha- have to ask, well I guess I don't have to but I, I want to ask is Eight: how originally, or originally they were planning to go with Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan for the WWF title and they didn't do that how you know that was the period, you know, that you were big into pro wrestling and surely after you fell out of pro wrestling, how huge would it have been if they would have went with that advertisement event for WrestleMania? 8?
1: I think it it probably would have gone over pretty well. You might have drawn in a lot more WCW fans who might have been reluctant at biting the bullet on checking out WWS. Uh, I think it it could have been the dream match to be all dream matches, but it was just It just couldn't be.
0: Uh, With their encounter at WCW, I think in 94-ish, was that a letdown, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, both guys were definitely kind of over. They were just sort of past their primes, and, you know, it it just didn't feel the same.
0: With the two matches that we got out of WrestleMania 8 with Flair versus Savage and Sid versus Hogan, I don't know well, obviously the Flair versus Savage match was great and the Hogan versus Sid match was what it was. Do you feel like those two matches were better than the original advertised match with Hogan and Flair?
1: Um, I think uh, Flair versus Savage was better, but I don't think anything with Sid has ever been what it what it could ever be proposed to be. It Sid always just seemed to be just something off just never always never quite there
0: makes sense then i guess do you have well I might as well let you do some plugs for how can people find you on twitter and find all find the product that you put out
1: well if you'd like to read my webcomic you can look at headlocks and headaches.com uh if you would like to speak to me social through social media you can find me on twitter at dean underscore stall you can find me on Facebook under my name, but you can also find the page just for my art at Dean Stalls Dean Art Abominations. Uh, I think it's just facebook.com slash Dean Art. You can find uh, I have a DeviantArt page at com. Sounds good to me.
0: Uh, fans, you can listen to ILCR podcast main event status.com. that's our website you can also listen to us on soundcloud.com back main event status radio you can find main event status radio on facebook at facebook.com backslash main event status radio you can find me on twitter at at dirty dog m-e-s dog as in d-a-w-g or you can also find me on twitter at i am darcy i-a-m-d-a-r-s-i-e and for the install this is a dirty dog darcy we'll catch you guys on the next episode